Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show episode 147 that was musical <laughs> brought to you by the fine folk at sb nation and bleeding green nation i am your host michael kist look man dark times you got to find some joy in something so i might as well bring a little musical tone to this i'm michael kist what am i gonna do be sad about that brandon brooks 2k19 exactly i'm michael kist you've already heard from benjamin solak of course follow him on twitter at benjamin solak that's s-o-l-a-k ben look brother i, w- I want to take some accountability for the loss we, as a podcast, need to work harder this week than we worked last week. So I'm going to ask you, do you have the juice to... What a ridiculous quote by Grow. How you doing, brother? And that's the thing. is, like the larger quote, obviously. Makes more sense. Right. But the thing is, and like I was... This is what I was saying to somebody as I was watching the thing. At this point, Grow has become such an antagonistic figure to the Eagles beats He makes it easy. I spent training camp with Gro. Mm. And by the end of it, I was like, I don't want to talk to you ever again. You don't say anything. And this was like his first availability ever. Right? And so you're like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to learn. But then it's year two, and he doesn't say words at all. It's so maddening to listen to him speak. Because, like, he's just afraid of of saying anything that's, that's... you know, ironclad. You you can't get anything out of his press conference. It's like like Jimbo will give you some stuff and some nuggets sometimes. Right, but you just you you watch Gross press conferences and you wonder if you watched the game, right? Because he sounds like somebody who read uh, the ESPN recap and then is trying to answer questions about the game. Just like he says everything as general and vague as possible, and it's not wrong, but it has no context, right? Okay. Has Nelson Aguilar regressed? I disagree. I'm sorry. What? Well, then, but- <laughs> All this to say, yeah. now the Eagles beats, like, it's, he's become a punching bag. He's become a laughing stock. They don't want to, like, make him look good, let alone, you know, clear. Of course, they're going to quote him with abbreviated context. Yeah. They don't like him. And why would they? <laughs> so, yes, grow is the heel of jokes. But when your offense is bad and you're withholding and deny it, what do you expect there, Chief? He's he's having trouble integrating himself into the offense, is basically. Yeah, so, anyway, yeah, no, but we're, we're going to... We're gonna work harder this week than we did last week. Yep. Uh, and you know what? When we uh, when we lose to the Seahawks, we're gonna work harder the week afterward as well. Exactly. And so it's all okay. Just get better every week. Steps in the right direction. Yeah. And then when we murder the Dolphins, we're like, ah, see, <laughs> <laughs> we can act like uh, the whole Bills fan base, like we're back, baby. Like no, you know, you're still paper tigers. Anyway, so today is going to be the film review pod of the Eagles and the Patriots. And, and first, before we get into like the particulars of the film. Obviously, I think we need to talk a little bit about the franchise quarterback, Carson Wentz, and tasked with warding off the great cloud that was the historically great New England Patriots defense. I think Wentz visibly felt the constant and perhaps fatal pressure of rowing a boat with no oars and in a game that would offer few opportunities for his normal glorious heroics. Uh, He tried to force them anyway, slipping back into some old and brutal habits that we have talked about on this show that we highlighted specifically in the Dallas game, which I think was the only game this year that was worse than this game against the Patriots. Wentz has remarkable talent. Thank you. Oh, you said Wentz. Okay, sorry. Yes. Remarkable talent for imaginative improvisation, and he knows it. And as such, his play is more hair-raising adventure than well-oiled machine. And with the Eagles needing an ounce of new blood on offense, that play style has led to a glaring contradiction. Wentz is a Bugatti being asked to run a Kia offense. And while he's usually cool and energetic in the chaos, that contradiction has spiraled Wentz into an odd and frustrating mix of brilliance and agony and it's an offense right now with the way that everything is set up and the talent around him that requires a surgeon not a butcher and so that's where my main concern comes for this season with Wentz especially moving forward the games where he's going to struggle are becoming too predictable I've talked about it and there are very good reasons behind it but as you work through this film it's not all on the design it's not all on the receivers it's not all on the drops or the lack of a run game in this specific game There were plays to be made throughout this game by Wentz. He didn't make them. He double-clutched. He was indecisive. 
And to play amateur psychologist for a moment, I thought there was clear evidence, as we've talked about before, that there are receivers he does not trust. And perhaps for good cause, but ultimately, he needs to put the onus on them. Because at a certain point, you're just handcuffing yourself in the offense. So look, this is one game, and an important one, no doubt. And when I talk about these things, I take solace in the fact that the supporting cast around him for this game is an aberration, hopefully, because of not only the players that couldn't play, but the players that got injured in the game, too. I think we know what Wentz and this offense is without a supporting cast, and it's mostly untenable. I think we know what Wentz and this offense can be with a supporting cast, and it can be great. Wentz isn't going to consistently put a low ceiling on the offense. We have enough evidence to say that. And he can, even, he can even raise that ceiling a bit. He didn't do that against the Patriots. He's done it before. So, hell yeah, I'm frustrated and concerned that Wentz is in his own head a little bit. And you could see it coming. Sunday wasn't good enough. This season has been a mess. And right now, the most you can hope for is a bounce-back game from Wentz, which so far this season, he has done in these spots in response to bad games. Hopefully, you get some weapons back and Wentz doesn't feel that internalized pressure to the point where it cripples his game. Hopefully you get the Wentz that has played anywhere from solid to above average when you take into consideration what he's being asked to do and the big plays not being made around him. I'm saying hopefully a lot, but that's where I'm at right now with Wentz, and I don't think it's unreasonable, and I think I have a pretty realistic understanding of what the Eagles have at the quarterback position, and we can cry and moan about how he's being paid to be a franchise quarterback and paid to be elite because we don't want to talk about how the QB market resets itself every year, and that's just how QB contracts work. Maybe you need him to be consistently elite so you can use it on Twitter arguments with Cowboys fans and blah, 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 blah. There's two quarterbacks right now in the league playing a consistently elite level. They both have more talent around them, and one has an incredibly unique offense that has the creativity of which we are not seeing in Philadelphia right now. Of course, I'm talking about Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson. This is a horizontal offense with a vertical quarterback. Until one or both of those factors change, this is not going to be an above-average offense capable of making a serious run. And rant. Ben, your thoughts? I like that horizontal offense with a vertical quarterback. I don't know if I agree with it, but I like it. I mean, Wentz is kind of built to be an intermediate downfield type of guy with big plays. This offense kind of needs like a Rich Gannon type right now for it to run at its most effectiveness for what they need with what they have and what's being called right now. Would you agree with that part? I, I agree with the second bit. I like Wentz is a downfield guy. I would say, well, we've never seen him not in Peterson's offense. So how do you know? I just think that's the strength of his game. Like if I if I'm evaluating his traits and I'm saying what kind of offense am I building around this guy? It's the offense that the Eagles thought they were building in the offseason. With no Deshaun Jackson with no vertical threat, you take away the big plays, yeah, those flaws in Wentz's game are going to be magnified. And they are being magnified right now. Right. Yeah, so so I think the way I, I framed it to you on Twitter the other day was there's just no like actual progressions in this offense anymore. Right. Which is the combination of a few things. And it's all chicken egg, right? It's Wentz didn't play great. Your talent at the receiving positions blows, and your play calling is unimaginative, and or not your play calling, excuse me, your play design is unimaginative and cowardly. Would you say that the play design in this game is a far cry from what we saw from, for instance, Green Bay and and Buffalo? Because I think those two games are a far cry from this yeah, one. Right. I would say I would say like the things the Eagles decided to do that were new coming out of the bye mm. were mostly in the running game. And it was like, hey, what if we ran more traditional power encounter than we usually do? It's like, well, that's fun, but like it's not it's not necessarily creative. That's something that you haven't really put on film before. But the Patriots front understands how to fill against counter. Mm. It's counter. It's a very common concept. Just because they've never seen it before doesn't mean they're going to forget how it works against you. Do you think that's because Howard was out and they wanted to go with less zone and more gap type reads for Sanders to kind of fit what he is right now? Sure. Yeah. But also, I mean, they ran it with Scott. And obviously, <laughs> right. we don't know what Boston Scott has and what he's good at. And obviously, like his body profiles to be that of a good gap style runner. But I just don't understand why you're putting your offensive line in that situation. Mm -hmm. Isaac Samuel had a bad football game on Sunday. Didn't play good ball. They like to use him as a puller, but he's at best in space. He's not at his best at uprooting Lawrence Guy, uprooting Kyle Van Noy. These are big dudes for their position. Danny Shelton. Chucking them, uh, you, know, yeah. all, uh, uh, you know, uprooting them from gaps, generating displacement. You know, that, that's not, he, he doesn't win with size. It's not the same all those games. So that's not the situation I would have put him in. But anyway, we're on a bit of a tangent here. In the passing game, 
the Eagles wanted to high-low underneath zone defenders. So in quarter one, they came out with shallow crosses underneath digs, slant flat. They came out with, with, with curl flat. And they came out with, uh, you know, with, 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 you know, pirate concept. And they came out with flood concept. And then by quarter four, Mike, they, uh, they wanted the high-low underneath zone defenders. So they came out with, uh, with, with, with shallow crossers under dig. Came out with slant flat. Came out with, uh, with mesh. And uh, came out with pirate concept and the flood. This day, they had one pitch. And it was, we're going to put four guys into a concept. And two of them are going to break within five yards. And two of them are going to break within 12 yards. Mm-hmm. And we're going to try to high-low underneath zone defenders. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And, like, in the instances in which they got man coverage, nobody who played receiver won. And that's, like, I can't tell you how weird that is to watch. <laughs> At the NFL level, for corners to consistently win against wide receivers one-on-one for four quarters. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. In one-on-one situations, wide receiver, like average NFL wide receiver beats average NFL corner nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know where you're going. You do. The quarterback knows where you're going. You have the advantage. But Jordan Matthews couldn't get off Jonathan Jones. Nelson Aguilar couldn't get off Stephon Gilmore for his life. Oh, my God, yeah. Matthews also couldn't handle Gilmore when he got him. The Eagles' best option was hitting their tight ends. And they got a good play out of Zach Ertz. Yep. And they got a good play out of Dallas Goddard. But, like, when Dallas Goddard drops a second and ten first down, the drive is over. Yep. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. There's no, like, if, if you're one of your good, last remaining good receivers makes a bad play on the ball, end the drive. Because <laughs> there's nothing you can do on third and ten. You have nothing. Because you have no receivers who can win against man coverage. And then when it's zone, it's... One of the best, most fluid, best communicative zone defenses, typically dropping seven to eight. They dropped eight a ton, yeah. much more than I realized. And they are so good at restricting those windows right. and overlapping zones and, and seeing those things coming. And when everything is flood, yeah. when everything is slant flat, it's not hard to cut. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not hard to drop off reps. Like, you know, you your, your, your guy is stemmed past five yards. Well, guess what? He's not going deep. You don't have to respect it. Did you see the one where Stefan Gilmore understands this is mesh sit wheel like immediately? And it's just like, I'm just going to stand in front quarter, of JJ. In the first quarter. In the first quarter. He just runs underneath JJ. Like a white side. He doesn't even turn around. Right. right. Like, why would they run anything else? I mean, like, and whenever you have tight trips bunched with the tight end at the point, yeah. it's a clear it's a clear give for mesh sit wheel. And the Eagles love to run out of that formation. But still, you know what I mean? They, it's, a, it's a two-yard pass to Zachary. It's now you're in second and eight. I mean, anytime the Eagles got into behind the sticks, mm. punt. Doesn't matter. Punt or penalty. You know what I mean? Like that's that's all that you were going to get. So, again, I said this is chicken and egg. You have really, really basic play calls. We can only run X number of concepts. We're going to give Jordan Matthews 64 snaps, 85% of the snaps. And so, you know, we can't come out here and run new things that we've installed, even though we had him over the bye week. You know what I mean? He's going to be limited in his understanding of the playbook, even with his familiarity, which I want to get to his familiarity in a second. We have Nelson Aguilar, whatever. So, we're going to limit what we can run. Then we have guys who can't win one-on-one on these routes. And then we have Carson, hmm. who did not play good football. Missed throws, missed reads, mishandled the pocket. Mm-hmm. Did he do that because he's a bad football player? Or did he do that because the context around him was about as bad as it's ever gotten? And he was working really hard to try to account for it all in one place he's prone to do. Yeah. If you've watched the Eagles for the past couple of years... You're more likely to say the second one, though there are some who apparently watch the Eagles every week who think it's the first one. Because Carson's not a good football player. I think that's bananas uh, and is hogwash. But this, this takes me back to the bye week framework. We kept on getting the whole like, well, you know, these seven weeks will tell us about who Carson Wentz is as a quarterback. I really already know who Carson Wentz is as a quarterback. I feel comfortable saying that because I predicted he was going to have this ball game. If I may take a moment to toot my own horn. You and I both said, hey, we know Carson. He's probably going to play bad. And he played bad. <laughs> It's because we know who the quarterback is. Quarterbacks are a lot of that bad football game. And, and, and it's like I told you, Ben, the context surrounding it, I, I I told Mark Schofield before the Dallas game, and I told him before this game, these feel like bad games coming up for Wentz. Now, how much you want to be concerned about that being too predictable, how much we can predict that is, it's still a problem, right. but we also understand the, the, like, the why. And it's not because he's a bad football player. It's because the s- surrounding situation from it, and he can't rise himself above that right now, and really... 
That's why I'm not very hopeful that he's going to look special for the rest of the season because of that context. And that's fine. I mean, I have a longer outlook on Carson than just this one game. And the other the other framework that drives me nuts is like, well, if Carson played better, the Eagles would have won. Mm. I agree. I absolutely agree. Here's the really interesting thing, though. If you go and you look at, oh, I don't know. Every single week 11 game that was played in the NFL, if the losing quarterback played better, the team probably would have, like, okay, in Texans Ravens, where Deshaun Watson lost 41 to 7. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, like, if Deshaun played like peak Deshaun, they still could have lost that game. Ravens put 41 on him. Lamar's playing some good ball. Hey, is Deshaun Watson a good quarterback? No, because he was bad against the Ravens in one week. (laughs) Yes! Right? You go broke pretty much every game. Like, yeah, if all of these losing quarterbacks did better than they did, their team probably would have done better. So when you say, if Carson wants to play better, the Eagles would have won, you're saying absolutely nothing. You're saying losing football teams tend to play worse than winning football teams. And the most important player is the quarterback. Mm. I could not agree more. Yeah. So, again, I don't really think you're saying anything. So, chicken and egg. Three factors. We have bad weapons, we have a poor Carson Wentz performance, and we have play calling that is, is, is very basic. Which started this all? I would argue it begins with having really bad receivers, mm. but you really can't, like, you can make a case for it, but you make a case for all three. Carson missed his receivers. Carson missed open Nelson Aguilar three or four times. Carson missed open Mac Hollins badly, second drive, right? Yep. So, okay, you make a case for all of them, but these are the three factors we're dealing with here. What did this end up distilling itself into? Carson looked at one player, and if he did not have one player open, he bailed. Mm. And this is what the, this is why the Eagles' passing offense just absolutely was awful yeah. because they never got to any backside digs, they never got to any backside slants, they never got to any backside you know deep comebacks from Alshon Jeffrey. That route went out the freaking window. Nobody else can run it apparently. Mm. There's no progression in this offense. It was we're hoping this guy gets open pre-snap. Yep. Numbers game, leverage game. If he doesn't. <laughs> you know just just sit in the pocket and poop our pants which parts on the play calling parts on the receivers and parts on carson again this is an interdependent unit it's the offense so that was the, the name of the game for me from the passing offense all of this going to say it was a highly successful best week for the eagles offense because jj white whiteside outstaffed mac holland so <laughs> never mind forget everything i said it was a victory we win Good things happen. So let's let's talk about some of those one-read type things, because this is a play that you highlighted on Twitter, and this is something that, that I also put on Twitter as well as, as a criticism of Wentz, and this is something that was very well covered uh, by the by the Patriots, at least the primary read was. We're talking first quarter. I mean, this, this stuff popped up very early in the game. First quarter, 13.50, it's second and eight when the New England 24, this drive would stall out and only get a field goal in part because they did not execute on this play. So what you're going to get, and I'll let Ben elaborate on on his take on this, but uh, I'll set the framework here. You're going to get trips to the left. You're going to run Double China 7, Shock, Dusty, whatever you want to call it. Basically, the number three in the the innermost slot is Dallas Goddard. He's going to run a corner route. There are going to be two routes to the outside of him that are going to hold the underneath defenders. Normally, like I've seen Wentz throw this corner route like all day, like against man coverage one on one. This is money in it. And they're, you know, it's tight coverage, but there is a window to throw this to Goddard. But this is not where the play is ever going to go because there, there is an audible. There's a check that, that Wentz makes that is going to send Miles Sanders on a wheel route. And this is going to be covered very well by Kyle Van Noy, who squeezes this route to the sideline. Sanders is like out of bounds by the time he, uh, by the time he, basically looks up for the ball. So this this was never going to come off. Also was never going to come off was Carson Wentz off of this read because, like I said, he's got guys open. He's got Zach Ertz coming open against Stephon Gilmore on a, on a quick dig route. So there's places for Wentz to go with this ball, but he never comes off it. This is one read I'm throwing this no matter what and ends up being incomplete to Miles Sanders. This was a play that I marked negatively for Wentz. Ben, I think you did the same and then you added some context uh, in your Twitter video as well. What do you, what do you want to say about this play right. specifically? So I agree that there was space to look at this flat route, to look at this flat to wheel route, right? Because Sanders fakes the flat. Be like, hmm, Kyle Van Noy's in a really much better position than I thought he was going to be. Right. Uh, and come off and try to work backside. So I agree. My issue with 
Ertz got her, and this goes back to you know play design and and Carson in the pocket, is that if you want to hit either of these throws open, it actually also goes to I guess personnel as well. You have to rhythm it, right? So so you you. You you can't come second read to Goddard because this is a an outbreaking route yeah. uh, against inside leverage. So you can't come late to this. It's gonna be too close to the sideline. You're gonna give the corner a chance to make a play on the ball. Ask Carson Wentz's throw to Jordan Matthews in the second quarter, where he tries to come late to a a, a flat seven route against cover two, and there's just no more space. I, I see what you're saying because at the top of the drop, number one, he's holding the safety for a reason because he wants that yeah. safety to stick in the middle of the field at the top of his drop. If he's going to hit Goddard. He can't look to his right to check Sanders first to see that leverage that Van Noy has. And I also think you can make the same case with Zach Ertz in that if you're going to hit this, you're going to need to rhythm it because, and this is why I said personnel, Ertz is not going to outrun Stephon Gilmore. So Ertz breaks. He's got separation. There's a throwing window right when he breaks. But if you try to come late to this, Gilmore's going to close on it because Gilmore's faster than Zach Ertz is. So you need to throw an unbelievable ball. So if you want these routes, you have to rhythm them. And when I say rhythm, what what I well, I should probably define that term. Uh, you know, three step drop, pitch, and throw. Mm-hmm. There's no. I looked to the right side. I don't like it. I reset my feet. And I come back. That's we're on a we're we're now reading. We're progressing through our reads. You have to make this throw in rhythm, in time. Yeah, it's all gonna be within within one hitch. I agree on the on the double trying to set. If you're if you're throwing a Goddard, it's gotta be top of the drop, one hitch, it's out. I agree with that. Which is why, and and the thing about the the Ertz route is that it's keyed, it's alerted to the corner letting go of him to eat up Sanders' wheel route, mm-hmm. right? That's what that, that route is for. So if, if once you see Gilmore run with it, you're thinking you're going to have Sanders release deep. Now, the issue here, where I grade Wentz negatively on this play, is that he expects one of the two inside linebackers to take Sanders. Mm-hmm. This is the advantage of this wheel route, is the linebackers to work through the traffic of Zach Ertz's route and then he has to all of a sudden realize Sanders is faking the flat, going upfield. He's got to flip his hips and he's got to run. But the Patriots, when Wentz checks, Jamie Collins checks with Kyle Van Noy. And once Sanders free releases to the flat, Kyle Van Noy, who was going to rush, peels off to cover Sanders. And Jamie Collins, who was responsible for Sanders, rushes. Is this essentially like a two-by-one funnel? Because I see what you're saying before the snap. I mean, it is, kind but- of in a way. But like right. I, it, it, it accomplishes the same idea. Yeah. But a two by one funnel is you have two players, you know, two linebackers who are distinctly off the ball, or linebacker and a safety who are distinctly off the ball, and then they just check release. Yeah. This is like if Sanders were to step up into the line, chip, and then release to the outside, Collins would still take it. Yeah. I believe. Okay. What I believe is this is a free release check. It's if he flies out to the flat, we know they're in halfback wheel. And they want and they want me to be screwed. Mm-hmm. So if you see free release, take him for me, and I'll rush for you. Yep. That's the that's the check here with Van Noy. Uh, and so Van Noy just sits on top of the wheel the whole day. So what Carson needs to do because Carson first peeks to the right. Once you see Van Noy bail on this, you should be willing to immediately take Ertz because nobody's dropping middle. Jamie Collins is coming because Van Noy left. So now you got middle of the field open on second and eight. Now you should be willing to like this is not. The the written by the book Wentz or Ertz alert, but you should understand contextually what the defense just did, and be willing to come off of Sanders. But he sticks to the pre snap plan. At the end of the day, it's Sanders one on one against Van Noy, and Sanders who had a not great game needs to run this route better. Uh, and this is probably the first time Sanders has ever run this wheel route and experienced. Oh, the end man on the line of scrimmage knows what I'm doing. <laughs> I, this is not. Anthony Barr, eight yards away from me. Correct. This is not Jelani Tavai, 10 yards away from me. This is a smart football player who knows what I'm about to do. How about I stop screwing around with the head fake? How about I get physical and I get upfield and I try to leave space for this throw? Because Sanders runs a bad route. Yeah. And that's another part, another part of the reason why this throw is 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 hopeless from the jumps. Because Sanders lets himself get pushed all the way into the sideline. You're right. not going to catch a ball on the sideline, young man. You're out of bounds. You see the practice field with the red line. That's where he wants to be at the red line. He's way outside of that. Right. So we have two players who open up, but Carson's not going to get to either of them because he checked to do a play for a different player. Bad design. We have Carson not recognizing how the defense adjusted to the play call and the open routes that could come open because of the adjustment. Bad Carson. And we have Sanders running a bad route. So... This is bad football play. <laughs> and, and, and it, you know, it, whose fault is it? Everyone's. And each individual player would say it's mostly theirs. 
because they, they, they would take the, the responsibility and take the onus on themselves. That's the thing is like this game very much from the offensive side of the ball reminded me of like the Titans game last year. Mm. Or like just even like in general, that middle of the year stretch for the Eagles where you and I just sat here every week and we said, hey, if the team just stopped killing themselves, yeah. they'd win football games, <laughs> right? This was just bad execution from a lot of players. And when you have a rookie running routes he never ran, when you have street free agents coming in to play wide receiver, when you have your third and fourth tackle in, guess what? You're going to get bad football plays. Yeah. You're going to get bad execution because you don't have your starters in. This is the reality of injury. Do you want to talk about pocket management for once real quick before uh, before we have to switch it? Because we, we've spent a lot of time on this play on, uh, and on Wentz, you know, a lot of overarching themes here. But I did want to talk about his pocket management. Two plays I wanted to talk about, or at least his decision making as well. Uh, second quarter, at second and six on the Eagles, 32 to 34 left. Wentz is, uh, this is the, the fumble sack here. Basically what happens is the Eagles are going to send three guys to the boundary on routes. The Patriots drop their middle linebacker under Ertz. So they're giving, again, special special attention here. Guy gets hands on Ertz, and then there's another guy covering, and you've got him dropping underneath. But what you're going to have is five Patriots defenders on that side of the formation covering three different routes. There is nothing open here. Wentz takes a lifetime to get his eyes back to the backside where he's probably got Goddard for at least maybe by the time he would get back to him, a contested throw, but a, a plausible one that would possibly move the chains as well. It's definitely not a turnover. Wentz takes too long. I don't even, I don't even know what Wentz, because Wentz pump fakes here. I don't know what he's faking. It was the pump fake game for Carson. Let me tell you, he was pump faking everywhere for no reason. Double clutched more than, than I could ever expect somebody to double clutch. And there was no reason for the pump here. I don't know who he's trying to influence here. It's not there. From the moment that ball is snapped and he sees that middle linebacker come underneath, he should know he's got to go backside. He does not. He drifts in the pocket a little bit. Then the ball security gets funky. Ball comes out and it's Patriots ball. So there's this play, and we could talk about that in a second. But the other one I wanted to talk about for pocket management is the one where he ran right into a sack. That's 27 seconds oh, left. I love this one. I wanted to bring this one up. It's uh, second and two at the New England 44. The Eagles are getting close to field goal range at the end of the half, trying to steal some points before the end of the half. Uh, you're going to get trips to the right. You're going to get a crosser. I believe that's that's Jordan Matthews there. But Wentz, tr trying to make something happen. Just I can tell you I can tell you what he's trying to make happen. I is it is he waiting for Aguilar? Is that is, yes? Yeah, he okay. wants a deep dig to Aguilar because they were trying to get this earlier and they finally got the Patriots in cover one on it. Yeah. And the Patriots are are sinking that uh they're sinking a, a linebacker underneath Ertz. And so they're gonna be doubling Ertz, who's the first crosser, and then Aguilar's gonna be the second crosser, i.e. the backside dig, i.e. the backside dig is always open. And that should open up really cleanly and nicely right in the middle of the field. Eagles should get the ball inside the 30, run up and spike it with 15 seconds left, a couple shots to the end zone, kick a field goal, whatever. The second Carson sees cover one, he's like, frick, yeah, yeah. we g -g 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 got him. <laughs> and then he runs directly into Danny Sheldon. Right. Which, or is it, no, it's Adam Butler. And right, when Jordan Matthews comes across the screen on that crosser, right, just shallow cross, you take that, then it's first down. You spike it at the 40, maybe the 39. You got 20 seconds left. You probably have to, you know, hit a quick out, hit a quick flat, you know, get some more yardage. But Jake Elliott's going to hit a long one for you. That's what Jake Elliott does. It's second and two. You have a timeout. You can you can take that and then work from right. there. Right. You have that right there. But I'm like, this is a classic to me example of Carson pre-snapping. I'm like, I want X. And actually, Aguilar is the Z right here. But I want Z. Um, <laughs> and, and, he can, then, and he can have Z. Like, the, the if, if he just steps right. up and chills for a second, he has it. He just he loses himself. It's so odd. He sees Brandon Brooks' hips. Yeah. And he says, aha, I have space. I can climb up into this space and I will be safe and I will be happy and ready to throw in wide open space. But he swaps. Which is yeah. why this is objectively hilarious. Because if you go back and you watch the play you brought up earlier, 234, mm. again, the Patriots are running an interior game which the Eagles offensive line, I said this reminded me of the Titans game. I have not seen them struggle with games like this all year. And not like just Big B. Like Brooks and Kelsey could not get on the same page. Yeah. And and Peters too, there was a stunt that he had issues with Siamalu yeah. that led to a pressure. Well, Siamalu had a bad football game. Yeah. Siamalu just played bad pole to pole. But on this, the first play you brought up, 234 in the second, 
Once again, Carson Wentz, Brandon Brooks flips his hips. Gives that B-gaps. Carson, if you're going to step up, take it. Carson's locked into the play side. He doesn't see it. And he runs himself into a sack. So you go to the sideline. You look at the film. Say, listen, Brandon Brooks, he was flipping against the game. You know, you have your right tackle. He locked off the edge rusher. If Brandon Brooks flips like this, right? If he flips to chase a, a, a crasher, step up into that area. So this time he does, and there's a guy waiting for him, <laughs> right? It's just, it, it's, it's the Patriots defensive line running really, really high quality games. Just really, really, and, and, and I mean. Because both times, there's there's a stunt there. Right. And and the thing is, yeah, they, they had the Eagles offensive line in twists. Carson's trying to figure out the best way to help his offensive linemen. And the Patriots got him the first time. And then when the Eagles went to counterpunch, the Patriots were there again. Yep. Right? Like they, This is really good defensive line play. Really well-coached players. Lawrence Guy played out of his mind. Dante Hightower played out of his mind. Danny Shelton played out of his mind. And Shelton against Kelsey was not a win for Kelsey. There's a few people in the league Kelsey can't handle, and one of them is 345 pounds, and his name is Danny Shelton. You know, he's a huge young man. Yeah. Um, so he goes into offensive line, struggled. And then, yeah, exactly. This is Carson. I, I think it's pretty clear he wants the backside dig. I think he's going to step up, and he's going to throw on the run when he could have just hung in the pocket for another half second. But this is poor pocket management. This yep. is what we're talking about. You end up taking a sack. And this is another great example of the three plays previous, 11-yard reception, 12-yard reception, 8-yard reception. Second and two, New England territory. You're in no hollow. You got one timeout left. Here's three points. Keep this game at a more reasonable margin. Mm. Uh, you know, going to half with a four-point lead. But the second that Carson makes a bad play. Drives over. Third and five, we get a bad snap from Kelsey. That's another one of your, your remaining good, healthy players. Makes a bad play. <laughs> Zero points. No margin for error. None. On this sort of an offense. The last thing I do want to bring up, I know we have to transition to defense. Is I said I wanted to talk about Jordan Matthews' chemistry with Carson Wentz. Matthews was targeted six times on at least three. He and Carson Wentz are clearly not on the same page. So if you brought in a guy for his chemistry with Carson and then played him for 85% of the snaps and then targeted him six times and he and your quarterback don't agree on where he should be, it didn't work. (laughs) The reason you added him didn't work. If you go, I'm at 550 in quarter three. This is the flat seven I discussed. We're running a cover two beater. We're going to high low the flat corner, flat route underneath him, corner route on top of him. It's called, it's a honey hole shot. It's a turkey hole. You've got to be able to seed and fire this ball in there between the sinking corner and the closing safety on the seven route. If you watch Carson, Carson, and they talk about rhythm, three step drop, he hitches and he goes to throw. And he pumps just as Jordan Matthews gets into his break. And then by the time Jordan Matthews is already in his break and where the ball should arrive, Carson finally tries to throw it. It's late. It's high to protect it from the corner. It's out of bounds. I don't know if Carson expected Matthews to break a step sooner. I don't know if Carson just didn't trust his eyes with when Matthews was breaking. But these guys are not on the same page. Okay, two weeks. He just came off the street. Why would they be? Yes, but the whole point of bringing him in was that he was going to be on the same page, mm-hmm. and he's not. So if he doesn't have chemistry with Carson, and you can go again, I think to uh, you can go to quarter four, which is the 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 fade route uh, on the outside to Jordan Matthews. It's eight thirty five, third and eight in the fourth quarter. You look at this play. Carson expects Jordan Matthews to be about two yards further inside than he is. This is a back shoulder ball that ends up not being on the back shoulder. Yeah, right. And there's space to put a back shoulder. Carson doesn't put it there. So either Carson missed him or Matthews wasn't where this route's supposed to be drawn. And on my eyes, he looks like he's not where he's supposed to be. You should probably be about two yards further inside if you correctly re- released off the line. But instead, he gets winded out by Jason McCourty. And then Carson puts the ball on the inside shoulder. It allows McCourty to make a play. These guys are not on the same page. So the whole selling point of Jordan Matthews, I'm not, I, I, I was already suspicious. And now I'm not even remotely convinced. Especially when you had a guy like Josh Gordon enter waiver wires and not take a chance on him. Oh, but we're going to bring in Jordan Matthews because he knows the offense. Well, didn't work. I'll give you more weeks, but early returns are, are, are really bad on that signing and the logic behind it. I think that's going to do it for the offense for, for today. When we come back here on the Kist and Solak show, we are going to talk about the defensive side of the ball. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent... You want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make 
all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here on the Kiss and Solak Show, episode 147, brought to you by the five folk at SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. Michael Kissed here with Benjamin Solak. Ben, a surprising performance from the defense. I still have some issues. It's I don't, I'm still not sold on this defense as much as uh, I, I thought I might be if you had told me before the game that the Eagles would force, what, 14 incompletions from Tom Brady in the first half? like his highest Record-setting defense over here. Don't mind if we do. But overall, I still thought there were some issues in coverage. Uh, we kind of gave Avante Maddox a pass in the post-game recap. I thought he struggled more than uh, than I thought he did on further examination. Definitely struggled to press Julian Edelman, who's a crafty slot receiver which by the way we're gonna have to talk about slot receivers in the draft coming up for the eagles fairly soon because nelson Aguilar is going to be the heck out of here but anyway did you see uh did you see uh the rap tweet the uh maybe it was it was uh chef i can't remember it was on wip he said that he thinks uh Aguilar is gonna make six million per year in free agency six per year uh so 97.5 the fanatic it was adam Schefter. excuse mm. me so it was 97.5 the fanatic adam Schefter. Quote, I think there was actual interest in him, and the Eagles didn't get the offers they thought were fair. I think if I'm not mistaken, they were seeking a second-round draft pick for him and thought he was too valuable to trade, and they wanted to hold on to him. Whoa, 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 whoa. Follow-up tweet, follow-up tweet. <laughs> I think these offers came in before the season, I believe, not at the trade deadline okay. because it was a pretty slow period. If I had to guess, Nelson would get around $6 million per year next year in free agency. <gasps> Jeez. Okay, so I'm, tr- I'm trying to like contextualize that. And I'm trying to look up like Dante Moncrief's uh, past salaries. Okay, so 2018, Dante Dante Moncrief, $5.6 million. Terrible, terrible contract. Got terrible play from him. But considering it's two years later, $6 million to take a chance on that, it's, it's, it's rich. But somebody will pay it. Right. The frustrating thing is like a change of scenery could be really good for Aguilar because yeah. he clearly has psychological obstacles to overcome when it comes to catching the football. Like he's just, you know, he's he's in another rut of drops. Changing where you are can help with that. Mm. Uh, so there's a chance he could go somewhere and be worth that. I would not bet money on it, <laughs> but it's possible. Anyway, Defense. go ahead saying what you're saying. Yeah, uh, I was talking about uh, Maddox. Uh, there was some more press in this game. Mills kind of struggled with with press too, which I don't. Everybody's accrediting the the defensive comeback to Mills, and I'm like, I don't. I'm not there with it. Uh, Ronald Darby, I thought looked good in press. Like I feel yes. like he should be doing a lot more of that. But that's something that I argued about. I feel like all corners in the entire world should be doing more in press. I cannot tell you how frustrating it is to watch the Patriots defensive backs just take away the Eagles' quick-breaking routes with press coverage. And then on the very next drive, Jim Schwartz is like, what if Nikhil Harry had a 10-yard cushion? Well, he's going to complete an 11-yard slam. That's how this works. Meanwhile, Jalen Mills is eight yards off of James White and is wide open on a slant if Brady wants it like all day. It's Always with Jalen Mills giving cushion to running backs. Always. (laughs) It's inevitable. It's insane. But I thought Darby looked better impressed because he's got the quick twitch, man. If he's connected, he can stay with guys. It's when he gets to off coverage, he can get on his heels and whatnot, can give up some space based on where he's aligned and so on and so forth. But what what did you think? Because, I mean, Ronnie McLeod, I thought, who we have been critical of, I thought he had a pretty doggone good game. That one in the end zone, by the way, if we can just use uh, a film example, I want to go to... It was the it was the spot concept in the end zone. Oh, uh, first and ten on the Patriots touchdown or the Patriots first field goal drive. So like end of the first quarter. Yeah, that one. It's a spot concept. It looks like a blown coverage to me. Like there's no. I disagree. Okay, so you believe that the way that they want to cover that inside three is with their middle of the field safety? 
Ah, first and four. 336 in the second. Yeah, there we go. So I don't think Jenkins is good at football anymore, though I'm not ready to put that take out in the world. <laughs> he didn't he's, play well. He's really struggling, dude. Like, he really. Didn't well. He didn't play well. Yeah. He, here's the thing. Very instinctive player. Good. When you're a good athlete. When you are old, not as good as anything. But I think, I mean, to me, I think this is they push the call because it's a sprint out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when Sanu releases vertical, who's the one who passes him off? It's not That's Maddox. It's Maddox who passes him off. Maddox passes him off. Who's he passing him off to? So do you see Jenkins at the snap? See him see with the left hand? Yeah. Right? So to me, I think he's pushing coverage, right? Which means that Maddox, you take whoever first breaks. I'll take whoever second breaks. Maddox, so Maddox appropriately passes off behind, gives that up, takes 13, who I think is Dorsett. Mm-hmm. So I think Jenkins maybe should sink. That's what I'm but thinking. But I do think that McLeod, like it's... That's a tough defense. That's a tough ass right. for McLeod, if anything. Well, so here's the but here's here's why I don't like... Because Mill, Mills can't get deep. But so, right. And I think that's the point of the design, but they're into the boundary. So you're you're limited on space to the, the end line, to the goal, to the sideline. It's not like they can run... You know, like Darby's got the the backside in case Watson releases, and if Sanu leaks to the opposite side, it's Camus' responsibility. So I don't know. I feel like this is how the pass off is supposed to go. Let's see if anybody yells at anybody after the snap. I see Jenkins making some sort of yeah. Jenkins kind of shrugs, but I think that's more about like, hey, Ronnie, why don't you catch the freaking football? Yeah, they're all they're all either celebrating or frustrating that it wasn't an interception. It's 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 hard to tell. <laughs> I just I'm not sold. I find it hard to believe that a defense is going to give up the entirety of the end zone from the number to the sideline, from the goal line to the end line, unless I the safety comes over. I don't think they are. Over. I think, it's, I think it's, a, it's an unbalanced set into the boundary. It's four receivers to the tight side, so I think they push the coverage. And so McLeod is always going to be closing strong there, regardless of the underneath routes. And then he just, you know does a really nice job cutting underneath the, the pattern. If he if he is tasked with that, it's a number one, it's a beautiful play by by McLeod. Right. For, forget about coming down with the interception. That is a gorgeous play by him. At the end of the day, it's a four receiver set to the boundary at the four yard line. <laughs> I have no idea <laughs> what, what the rules would are. be the best call. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. I have no idea even how to check this. Yeah. Which yeah. like I don't know if you're putting this conversation in the podcast or not, because I've like stopped doing podcast voice and I've started doing like regular thinking voice. But I'm here to tell you, like, if you four receivers into the boundary at the opponent's four, like, I have no idea. There's no book on that. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. All I know is, is McLeod makes a great play. What, what did you think about the uh, – any any takeaways from the defense that you wanted to talk about? Like I said, I thought McLeod played well. I thought Maddox struggled. I thought Mills is giving getting a lot of credit for not being all that great. Pretty off game from Brady. Struggled with the wind a little bit too. His placement yeah. was pretty scattershot. Uh, the defensive line, especially when when we talked about this, especially when the Patriots went turbo and they got a touchdown drive out of that, the pass rush was basically non-existent. It was not the Fletcher Cox game that we were talking about. The Patriots were very... That's my big takeaway. Yeah, they were very mindful of where Cox was and the other guys didn't win their matchups. Derek Barnett didn't rush the passer ext- extremely well when he should have in a plus matchup against Marshall Newhouse. Showed up like, what, one one or two times? That just, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know yeah. if this is, you can chalk this up to a bad Brady game on the road or what. But I felt less enthused about this defensive performance than I thought I would after the results that we got. Yeah, so Fletch needed to to be a home wrecker, and he won. Uh, wasn't a good game from Fletch, which like I feel very much so. You know, like you know, well, we learned about Carson. Well, you know, why don't we learn something about Fletch? He's the quarterback <laughs> of the defense. He's the most elite player on the defense. He didn't play a good game, and he should have. He was playing a bad opponent. Um, and the Eagles did like you know they're twisting and stuff and like using him as a decoy and, dra- and going grabbing doubles i get that but he had karis that center i think is bad one-on-one multiple occasions mm. and he didn't win um brandon graham played out of his mind which was fun but um yeah so yeah it wasn't the flash game um yeah so quick notes uh nate gary played better than he did at his worst like you know early in the season when we really started the whole nate gary is bad bit but also he's still not good like these two things have to be able to coexist i need you to be able to get your head around that better <laughs> not good oh tj edwards no nope I, like, I get it. Yep. He's not someone else, so maybe he's good. Give me Camus. He's really good between the guards, mm. and that's a very small range of influence. Jannard mm-hmm. Avery, still juicy, yeah. still powerful. If you had asked me how many snaps he was going to get after the bye, I would have guessed more than 10 after he was sent a fourth-round pick. He was sent for a fourth-round pick. And also, I would have guessed that 
more of them would have come not at off-ball linebacker. I thought we were not screwing around with that. Now, they blitz him, but let's not do that. Let's just put him at edge because that's where he's he's most successful. Do you think he should be getting snaps over Josh Sweat right now? No. Okay. Vinny Curry played a good ball game. Oh, yeah, he did. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, would have been more useful at, uh, at on other weeks. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> He was highly effective. He is officially edge four. I mean, he was outsnapped by Sweat. He was outsnapped by by Barnett and, and Graham. Obviously, uh, I guess he's going to start being outsnapped by Avery relatively soon here. Mm-hmm. But I thought he he was he was quite good as situational rusher. He's good as an inside guy. Uh, so you like that a lot. Um, and I have a wonderful love for watching Anthony Rush try as hard as he possibly can, um, but also be three hundred and fifty pounds and brother. He was a very. Ugh. He's not good. He was painful but, when when he had when when the play wasn't coming right at him. He's not good. I love him to death. I would do anything for him. <laughs> Say the word, but also he's bad. Would you ever expect him to make a play outside of the core of the formation? Just looking at him move. Yes, he will one day, <laughs> where he makes a play retracing a screen, yeah. where like the defender like cuts back and then cuts back and then cuts <laughs> back and then all of a sudden Anthony Rush just suplexes him. Right, 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 right. right. Because Rush has got such great hustle for a guy who runs maybe a five five forty. I love him does. to death. He does. I would do anything for him. The Eagles should cut him, but he's great. <laughs> um, anyway, he makes me laugh. I, I enjoy I, watching him play. I think that's. I think that's the title of the podcast. I love him to death. I think they should cut him. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we are. It's good spot to be in. Um, yeah. I, I, I. My other kind of like decently big defensive takeaway is I really did like most of what Jim Schwartz did. Two things stood out. Number one, I did not notice this on broadcast film. Loved it on the All Twenty Two. One rat. What's one? Uh, yeah. What's one rat? Cover one man. Five man defenders on five receivers, one single high safety. Well, that's six. You got five other defenders. So let's say you're rushing five. The Eagles like to do that and cover one man, rush five. Well, you don't have to rush five. If you rush your typical four, you have an extra defender. And very typically, he plays what we call a rat. We call the hole, cover one hole. Uh, I know it as one rat, which is the underneath hole zone. So you got a deep middle defender and then a shallow middle defender. And he helps take away crossers he helps take away quick breaking routes and when you have a scrambling quarterback who breaks he can serve as a quarterback spy as well so cover one rat we say one rat five man to man one deep middle one short middle defender in his zone. eagles played a lot of one rat but what and more than they usually do but what they did on top of it that was really cool is at times not every time but at times that one rat defender keyed julian edelman and the slot corner who had edelman played Edelman with outside leverage. Mm-hmm. And if Edelman broke inside, it became double team. Mm-hmm. I said on the pregame pod, it is hard to double a slot receiver. That's how the Eagles did it. If Edelman broke outside, cool. Corner had outside leverage. He was in a good spot. If he broke inside, that rat left his zone and immediately bracketed Edelman. And the Patriots wisened to this a little bit. They started running a lot more outbreaking stuff in the second half. That's fine. Eagles did a good job rallying and tackling on most of those routes. But that one rat was a nice wrinkle. That was cool. Didn't see that a lot from Jim. Can't remember seeing that in previous film, previous years. He probably stole that from somebody yeah. uh, who he saw playing against Edelman on, on previous tape. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know where. Um, but I really liked that concept. I thought that was a lot of fun. And then the other thing that I thought was really cool, Derek Barnett. I said in the... Uh, in the, in the pre-game in the pre-show that Derek Barnett would not have to worry about rush lane integrity nearly as much because Brady doesn't move and Barnett hates rush lane integrity he wants to like fake inside go outside fake inside spike inside like he's kind of crazy came very true and was very effective Barnett was super disruptive and the fact that Barnett kind of recklessly two-way goes can put his defense in bad spots at times but in other times it gives Camus Grugier Hill a five-yard tackle for loss because Barnett took three offensive blockers out of the play yeah because he's a psycho. I thought he was. I thought he was really good in run defense. I thought the couple of splash plays yeah. in, in, the, in the passing game were nice. I don't think they were consistent enough for the matchup He's that he had. Still not the pass rusher you would want the 14th overall pick to be. I agree. I think he's solid, but this. I think. I think we're starting to understand what he is at this point because he had Newhouse a lot on the left side, right? And he did not win any more than. You know, Vinnie Curry did against Marcus Cannon, then Josh Sweat did against Marcus Cannon, though Sweat had a bad game. Um, then Brandon Graham did against whatever the right guard's name is. You know, he he that that should have been a, you know, Max Crosby against John Jerry 
multi-sack performance because you were significantly outclassing this guy and he he didn't have that time. Right. But that said, when he gets freedom to spike inside and the Eagles will will twist a defense tackle behind him to let him spike inside, that's what he's at his best right now. And I think that's an important thing to acknowledge. Ben, I think yeah. that is going to do it for the film review shows that are have been have been going long lately because there's so much to get to. I mean, we barely got to any other thing with the offense outside of outside of Carson Wentz today. We might have to start breaking these up, but uh, I, I appreciate talking some film with you, bud. Would you How long s- was this? Ah, long. <laughs> Would you say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners? Howdy. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kissed and Solak show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. Eagles lost to the Patriots 5-5, five and five, looking down the barrel of what should be a doozy of a Seahawks game. Mike, right now, water gun to your head. Shout out, birds with friends. Eagles win against Seattle. Yes or no? No. Okay. You're going to change your mind? Probably. Because the games that the Seahawks have won against both good and bad teams have all been like... You know the Seahawks are 5-0 and on the road? Yeah. That's more than not being undefeated on the road. They beat the Bengals by one. They beat the Steelers by two. They beat the Browns by four. They beat the Falcons by seven. They beat the the Bucks by six. They beat the 49ers by three. These are not crazy impressive wins. I think it'll be a tight game. <laughs> You're not a crazy impressive win. Anyway... Uh, Disagree. We, appreciate, we appreciate you listening. Uh, as we said, Eagles Seahawks is the upcoming game. Two preview shows for you coming from Kiston Solak. That'll be Eagles offense, Seahawks defense, Seahawks offense, Eagles defense. Make sure you stay tuned for those later in the week. If you enjoyed the show, if you enjoy the feed, rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And so that we get internet clout. And then we post screenshots of us being ranked higher than uh, Adam Schefter, who can catch hands at any time, as we've said. I need that dopamine rush. Adam Schefter, the only member of NFL media who's actually shorter than I am. Fun fact. <laughs> People don't know this. Sorry, Shefty. Love you. Yeah. Listener of the show. Yeah. Who else is a listener of the show? Oh, Dan Orlovsky, by the way, listener of the show. Dan Orlovsky tweets in like the middle of the third quarter against the, the Patriots. Really feels like the Eagles should have Carson Wentz start pulling some of these runs. And I was like, Daniel! Yeah. We've been saying. Bel- Belichick did a film review for the Patriots website. He was talking about a run play and he was like, and you really have to respect the threat of Carson pulling this ball here. And I was like, no, you don't, I William. I Don't wish it did, lie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the defense did, but still. Yeah. Um, this is not important. This is a tangent. Yeah. Rate review and subscribe to the podcast. Do all the good things. Uh, be our friends. We love you dearly. Benjamin Solak, Michael Kist, S O L K K S T. Thank you forever. We all we got. We all we need. Fly Eagles, fly. Mm-hmm.